Here at Doxedo Hatfield, we are a family on mission. Make sure to get connected by joining us at one of our Sunday services. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Good morning, beautiful people of Doxedale Hatfield. It is great to be here in 2022. Um, Yeah, thank you. Can I get a woo? Because it's going to be a great year. It's going to be a great year. And I hope that it's been a slow and steady start for many of you. Some of you are going, no, it it has jumped off with a bang. Uh, I spoke to Mika this morning and she was like, the hardest part of starting a new job is figuring out what to wear. Um, Can the ladies in the house give an amen to that? Okay, there we go. I don't think the gents are that concerned. But um, I really am determined that this is going to be an incredible year in Jesus, that we're all going to have a great 2022. My boss joked with me this week and he said, have you ever thought about the fact that the name of this year is 2022, T-O-O, 2020 again? And I said, I cut that off in Jesus' name. Um, I refuse to accept that. But uh, you guys would know, we're in the middle of a great series called Blessed Beyond Measure. Blessed Beyond Measure. And it is a great series because it covers the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. And it's where Jesus just speaks to us about what the blessed life looks like. What the blessed life looks like. And the important thing to realize when we hear these statements, and we've been reiterating it over the last few weeks, is the important thing to realize is that When he shares these statements, these are not about striving. These are not about you need to become this if you want the blessed life. These are about recognizing that this is who we are in Jesus. This is who we are in Jesus and that God will empower us to live this way. Um, I think we've all done the journey um, and some of us have tried the journey. And those of you who are new in Christ, maybe it's not you yet. But we've all tried to really strive hard and be this, this Jesus picture. But there's this beautiful thing that happens when we actually realize God wants to come and empower us to be like Jesus. It's not a striving, it's a being. And that's why you guys will see that when we speak about this series, and even in some of the artwork for the series, we say we are not blessed um, to strive, we are living from blessing. So, so that's what we're going to be speaking about this morning. And, and really, you'll see that a lot of the verses in Matthew 5 and a lot of the verses in the Beatitudes speak about emptying ourselves of spiritual pride and, and, and getting rid of un, undealt with sin and really mourning that. And, and it speaks about getting rid of self-importance because really whatever it is Jesus calls us to, we need to be ready to go do. Amen? But... It's never about our own strength. And if we're reading this passage in that context, 
then we're missing the point of the passage. So I just wanted to give a little bit of context and a little bit of background. Um, But all Jesus is simply doing is he's going, this is what life in me looks like. This is what you should be experiencing. And, uh, And really, it's not a living for blessing. It's a living from blessing. Okay, so as long as we know that and we understand that God will empower us to live this out. So some of you know that Maya and I, uh, my wife, became my wife, um, became parents not so long ago um, to a beautiful little girl. She's in the back there um, with her little chubby cheeks. Yes, she does laugh, just never at church for some weird reason. Um, But... But we became parents a little while ago, and it has just been the most incredible journey. But I think all the parents in the room can agree that your child is far cleverer than every other child that has ever existed. You think your child is just brilliant. I mean, we've already decided she's going to be walking and talking by the time she get, she's one, which is like in, in a week's time. And, um, and she is going to write her first novel by the age five. And, uh, you know, we, we've got these ideas. And, of course, the Nobel Prize is waiting for her in the future. But um, we were watching, not we, um, my wife, because she watches these really weird documentaries um, on YouTube. Uh, let's not even talk about Dr. Pimple Popper or anything weird. Uh, yeah, it's, you people are weird. Um, but, but really, she watches these documentaries sometimes, and there was this one set of parents that this person visited to find out how are they raising their kids. And uh, they were sharing this whole story about how they have this philosophy that schooling is unnecessary. And they also don't need to teach their child anything until the child initiates it. So so they're not sending their child to school, and they're not teaching them to read or write until the child comes to them and asks them to teach them this thing. So so really, um, who else thinks that's totally bonkers and crazy? Um, I, I do. But, but we're listening to this, and the nanny that actually went to, it's like a super nanny type of thing. The lady that went to go visit them said, we're not... In, on, we're not on the same page, we're not on the same chapter, we're not reading the same book, we're not even on the same planet. Because it's just such a different context of what's happening there. But, but can you imagine what would happen with Ori if Maya and I decided we want all of these things for you, but we're not going to empower you whatsoever to do any of this. We're never going to help you walk, we're never going to actually try to mouth words Um, We're never going to do any of that stuff, but we have these expectations that you need to do these things. We'd be pretty sucky parents, don't you think? It would be a really hard way for her to grow up. But the amazing thing when we read the Beatitudes is that some of us look at God the same way. We're going, God, you're telling us about this blessed life, and you're telling us we need to be spiritually poor, and we need to be merciful, and we need to do all of these things, but but I just don't have it. I don't have it in my strength. And imagine if God were just like, here's the bar. You need to jump over it. You need to meet it. But he never empowers us to do so. But there's this beautiful thing that happens when we realize, you know what? God is that incredible parent that is holding our hand and he's going, you know what? This is the blessed life. This is what the blessed life looks like. This is what the Beatitudes are about. It's about letting you know who you are in Christ and then I will empower you to be just that. 
And, and I think when we read it in that way, it just opens up a whole different meaning for me of what the blessed life looks like. Because it's not God going, you know what, I've got all these rules and I've got all this stuff I want you to accomplish, but I'm never going to help you. It's God literally going, you know what, these are my dreams for you. This is what I've put inside of you. Let me help bring it out and make you live just like that. And I, I love that. I, I, I love that God is this incredible parent that gives us not only Jesus as an example, he gives us the Holy Spirit to guide us, but he gives us relationship with him so that we can talk to him about this stuff and go, God, you're saying I must be merciful, but, but I'm not feeling it right now. Would you help me? And he does. And he does. So when Jesus shares this sermon, he's, he's literally sharing who we are. And he's sharing that, you know what, yes, we are meek, we are poor in spirit. And yes, today's theme is we are a merciful people. Um, blessed are the merciful is what it reads. So we're going to be reading Matthew 5 together. For those of you that want to turn there in your Bibles, you can go ahead. Um, and you guys will see we're going to be reading from verse 3 to about verse 10. And I like reading through all of the Beatitudes every week just to actually cement some of that within us. But when we read it now, I want you to almost say, wow, this is who I am in Jesus. So, blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So in this passage, Jesus reveals to us who we are, and he says, We are poor in spirit, and we mourn sin. And we are humble, and we thirst for righteousness. We are merciful. We are pure in heart. We are peacemakers, and yes, we will be persecuted. And he reveals that to us, but, but he also reveals something else. He says, you know what, 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 what are the results of living this blessed life, of living in this reality? He says, the kingdom of heaven is ours. We are comforted. We inherit the earth. We are filled. We are shown mercy. We see God. We are called sons of God and daughters of God, and the kingdom of heaven is ours. And that's a beautiful reality for me. That is the life, friends, that I want. That's the life that I want to live. I want to live in that reality. But let me say right off the bat that while it is a good life, it's not always going to be an easy life. None of this is easy to always do. And you'll see, it's, it's funny how the Beatitudes almost end with that statement. The persecution will come. There will be difficulties. So it's not that the good life means the perfectly flawless, never have a problem life, but it's the empowered life where God comes and he helps us to live this out. So as I was preparing today's message on verse 7, it was very hard for me. I was wrestling a lot. Um, I even spoke to Manalisi on Friday and just said to him, you know, there's something about this concept of mercy and showing mercy to others that I find very difficult to fit into a 20-minute preach because we've been wronged. Some of us have done wrong. 
there are so many contexts that we come out of and, and some of us have really, really experienced true pain at the hands of people. And for me to try and cover every eventuality and everything that you have heard and gone through in 20 minutes is just not going to work. So what I decided today is we'll look at a bit of scripture, <laughs> we'll share a bit of word together, and I'm hoping that what that will do is empower you to go and journey further with Jesus in your area of pain and where you need to be merciful. I hope that's okay with you guys. Um, but really, there are some absolutes we can walk out, but today... Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So where does mercy come from? Where does it originate from? Really, mercy comes from a heart that knows that it has received mercy. That's where mercy comes from. There's something about realizing that God has forgiven us much. That brings us to a place where we can forgive others to a place where we can have mercy on others. Why? Because we know, we know that God has given us so much and forgiven us so much. I think there's something um, about just being so aware and having a heart broken for the truth that, you know what, Jesus went to that cross for you and me to wipe away all sin, to wipe away everything that we may have done and to show us mercy. John Piper puts it this way. He says, mercy comes from mercy. Our mercy to each other comes from God's mercy to us. Our mercy to each other comes from God's mercy to us. So the key then to becoming a merciful person is what? It's to become a person broken by the reality that God sent his son. And I have to tell you, I've been a Christian now for over 20 years. Yes, I know, I look devilishly handsome and young, um, but <laughs> I have been a Christian for a while. And as I am further and further in the journey, I sometimes forget what God delivered me from. I sometimes forget, you know, what was the price of my salvation. I sometimes don't have that broken place in my heart of going, God, I'm at your feet and I'm still broken by what you've done for me. But there's something about staying in that place where, where we just say to God, God, your mercy, your love for me is what has set me free. Nothing I've done, nothing I've accomplished, I could never buy my own freedom. When I look in that same light at other people who've wronged me, then it becomes a little easier for me to show mercy, doesn't it? When I look at them and I go, I've been forgiven much and I also need to forgive much. But there's something about forgetting that and forgetting about what we've been forgiven of that makes it harder for us to be merciful. And we see that in a parable that Jesus teaches in Matthew 10, or no, Matthew 18. And in Matthew 18, Jesus shares this parable of the unforgiving servant. And you guys will see, I haven't put the full text up, but we'll just share the gist of it. But, but it reads as follows. It says, Then Peter approached him and asked, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who, wanting to settle his debts with his servants, began to settle the accounts. And, and there was this one servant who owed 10,000 talents. That's a lot of money. Who brought before him 
and since he didn't have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. So here it is. The servant falls face down before him, and he says, be patient with me, and I'll pay you everything. And then the master of that servant had compassion, released him, and forgave him the loan, literally wrote off the 10,000 talent loan. That same servant went out and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, which is nothing compared to 10,000 talents. And really he owes him a hundred denarii and he grabs him, starts choking him and says, pay me what you owe. And at this, the fellow servant falls down and he begins begging him and he says, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. But he wasn't willing and instead he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what he was owed. When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. And then after the master had summoned him, he said to that first servant, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. So also my heavenly Father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. This is a heavy parable, okay? It's huge. But I think it just illustrates again, here's the servant that has been forgiven so much and literally in a moment forgets the debt that has been paid on his behalf. And then he goes and he has the opportunity to go and enact the same mercy that he's received and he chooses not to do so. And I think Jesus shares this because it cuts us to the quick. When I think of myself, I have to be honest, I'm sometimes so quick to condemn someone. If somebody wrongs me, I have this righteous anger within me and justice needs to be done. But I'm so quick to jump to that sometimes. And, and sometimes what I do when I read the scripture is I'm so condemned to the fact that, you know what, I need to have mercy because I have received mercy. It should be easier for me to be merciful. So what does being merciful look like then? If we're saying, okay, we need to be merciful, what does that look like? And, and really, Jesus, again, shares a parable. And this is the parable that I want to share with you this morning is Luke 10. Okay, so we're going to jump again. Luke 10, verse 25 to 37. And many of you know this parable well. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. You guys know that parable? It's good. I think we've heard it in children's ministry, those of us that were there growing up. But, uh, but really, it's this incredible story that Jesus tells to illustrate what mercy actually looks like. And uh, it goes like this. It says, Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he says this to the lawyer. So he takes the lawyer back to the law. And the lawyer answers the following. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind. And you will love your neighbor as yourself. You will love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered right. Do this and you will live. Do this and you will live. So it's love God. And love your neighbor. Those were the two requirements. And, and this was revolutionary at the time because before that, people were following um, like 600 and something laws and it was very difficult to make it work and, and, and live a righteous life. But here comes Jesus and he says, if you can get those two things right, love God above all else and love your neighbor, then you will have eternal life. 
And the lawyer then asks a question, because we'll all ask that question, where are the limits? Who is my neighbor? Who do I need to love? Is it only this person next to me, or is it everyone, or what does this look like? And, and Jesus answers with this parable of the Good Samaritan, and he says, a man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho, and so he was probably a Jew, and thus hated by Samaritans. And a few weeks ago, I preached on just the reality of Jews and Samaritans. They did not like each other. They were mortal enemies. Um, And uh, the Samaritans were viewed as mongrels and the enemy of the Jewish people. And really, this man fell among robbers. He was stripped and he was beaten and they left him half dead on the side of the road. And by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side of the road. So the priest passed him by. So likewise, a Levite, and that was generally a worship leader in the temple of the day, he also saw the man and he also passed by on the other side. Now, can I just say, these were all Jews, <laughs> passed by on the other side, and, um, and eventually a Samaritan came by, the sworn enemy of the Jewish people. And, and as he was journeying, he saw the man. He had compassion on the man. He went to him and he bound up his wounds, poured oil and wine on the wounds. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And then Jesus asks after telling this story, which of the three do you think proved neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer then says, the one who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. So what do we learn from this story? I think there's four things we can learn. The first thing we can learn from this story of the Good Samaritan is that, number one, mercy sees distress. And we've preached about this a lot here at Hatfield. It's, it's about opening your eyes to the distress of those around you. What are they going through? What is their pain? Um, do you see it? And then the second thing that it does is it responds with a heart of compassion. So it not only sees the mercy, but it responds to what the person's need is. So, so it's about having a merciful heart. And we see that in verse 33, when the Samaritan sees him, it says, when he saw him, he had compassion on him. The third thing that mercy does is it responds externally with a practical effort to relieve the distress. So it would have been one thing if the Samaritan went, uh, can I have, you know, the address of somebody that I can go tell that you're lying here on the side of the road half dead? But there was something different that happened when the Samaritan literally goes, you know what, I'm not only going to dress your wounds, I'm going to put you on my donkey, I'm going to take you to an inn, I'm going to book you in, I'm going to cover all the costs, and I'm going to make sure you're cared for. He did a practical thing for the distress that he saw in his neighbor. And the fourth thing is it acts even when the person in distress is an enemy. And I think that's the part of the story that's a little harder to swallow. Uh, I think sometimes it's easy to have mercy on a stranger. It's easy to have mercy on a friend. But it's sometimes very difficult to have mercy and forgiveness and come alongside someone who is an enemy, someone who has wronged you, someone who has hurt you. 
And here we see exactly that. We see the Samaritan, a half-breed Jew with warped religious traditions, stopping to help the Jew who hates him. Stopping to help the Jew who hates him. There's something beautiful in the story. And, and really, Jesus ma- tells the story. He made up the story. It's a parable that he chooses to share in this moment. And my question to you is, why do you think he let the priest, the pastor, and he let the Levite, the worship leader, walk on by? And he let the Samaritan stop to help the man. And sometimes I think the reason it worked out that way is because we get so caught up in church and religion and doing the right thing that we don't always see people when they have need and when they need compassion. And it was just this beautiful moment that Jesus, I think, was convicting a lot of hearts. He had a way of doing that in his stories. He'd share them and and there'd just be a turning of heart of of realizing, you know what, we have a responsibility. We, We have something we need to do. And really, sometimes we get so caught up in the Christian life that we stop hearing what the Spirit is calling us to do. And I think especially with our topic this morning, if we're speaking about people that have wronged us, and we're speaking about people that maybe haven't dealt us a good hand, to be merciful to those people, to find that in our hearts, to actually hear the Holy Spirit when He's speaking to us, and not just sit on our high horse of, you know what, justice needs to be done. This person is no more in my life. When, when that's our only reality and we're not bringing it to the Lord, I think there's an issue there. And you guys will see, hold your horses, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying everybody should remain in our lives, but what I am saying is there needs to be a prayerful and a spirit-led thing that happens when it comes to mercy. And that brings us to the next question. What does God require of us when it comes to mercy? What does God require of us when it comes to mercy? Should we always show mercy in every single situation? Should we just allow someone to do whatever they want to do with no consequence? So really, the question is this. Can I be a Christian who is consistently merciful but still discipline my kids when they do wrong? Can I be a Christian who's consistently merciful but put up healthy boundaries when people abuse me emotionally or physically? Can I be a Christian who's consistently merciful but let people face the consequences of their wrongful actions? Should I jump in and should I save them every time? And it's hard because I don't know about you, but I wrestle with that stuff so much. I think sometimes stuff happens in life and I'm I'm trying to figure out, you know what, God, what do you require of me in this moment? Is this a mercy moment? Is this a justice moment? I'm, I'm confused. I don't know what to do. And really, John Piper, again, puts it this way. He says, it's God's will that as long as this age lasts, there be a mingling of mercy and justice in all spheres. There be a mingling, in other words, a mixing together of mercy and justice in all spheres. So a mingling of justice and mercy. Don't we love that word, mingling? Uh, Hard to say. But sometimes what God asks of us, friends, is to let people face the consequences of their actions. Let's call it justice. Sometimes I think God asks us to do that, to allow people to feel the consequences of what they've done. But sometimes I also know that God asks us to show mercy and forgive people for what they've done. 
And it's, it's hard. It's these two things, justice and mercy. And, and really, by showing mercy, what do we do? We help others see that God is merciful, that God is merciful. We help them see who our God is. Remember, mercy is born of mercy. So what does a biblical parent do? They sometimes discipline their child and allow them to face the consequences of their actions. But there will also be times when a child's fault will be forgiven without punishment to teach them the meaning of mercy. So what do we do? We're going to love people by letting them experience the consequences of their actions. But at other times, we will love them by overlooking the offense, by forgiving and showing them mercy despite the wrongs. So that, that's really the, the dichotomy we sit with, is the mercy and the justice. But now the question comes, when do I show mercy and when do I show justice? Because I know we're all sitting here and we're going, okay, but some people, the justice needs to come. <laughs> and, and we're sitting here and we're going, yeah, but, but I'm not sure when to do what. And the answer to that question, and you're going to love this, the answer to that question is by getting as close to Jesus as you possibly can. That's how you know when it's justice, and when it's mercy. We need to get as close to Jesus as we possibly can because there is no reference in Scripture for every single thing that each of you in this room have been through or done. We need to get as close to Jesus as we can. We need to align ourselves with Him. We need to hear the Holy Spirit as it seeks to guide us so that we can act mercifully even when allowing justice to take its course. Should a merciful person always show mercy? I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to give you a qualified no. A qualified no. So what is a qualified no? A qualified no is a no that has a bit of journey behind it. It's a no that I've taken to Jesus. It's, a, it's, it's having to speak to God about that. A parent is sometimes going to allow their child to experience the consequences of their bad choices. But a good parent never rejoices in the pain when justice is done. I think there's something about me, you know, trying to teach Ori something and, and her just not understanding and me having to say no and she gets to live out the consequence of something she's done. I'm never going to enjoy that. I'm never going to enjoy someone's pain or someone's suffering if I allow justice to be done to them. If we are the ones meeting out justice or allowing justice to take its course, then in the midst of justice being done, you know what will happen? Mercy will show. It will show in us. It will show in the way we approach the person that justice is being done to. It will show in the way that we don't rejoice in their suffering or their pain. Now, as we're sitting here this morning and I'm drawing to a close, some of you I know have been wronged terribly. I know things have happened to you and and really there's this burden and this weight that you carry because of something someone has done to you and maybe justice hasn't been done there and and maybe you've chosen to walk away from a toxic person in your life or, or maybe justice is being done and you are enjoying every moment of it because I don't know what this person has done to you. And maybe that's the place we find ourselves at this morning as we speak about mercy. And I'm going to be honest with you, I've been there. And I I feel that. I've experienced those exact same things. And for that reason, my challenge to you today is not going to be, why don't you go wish that person well? 
Why don't you go reconnect with him? I'm not going to make any of those challenges to you this morning. My challenge today is simply this. Would you do something? Would you invite Jesus into the scarred and hurting spaces that are sitting here? And would you allow him to start healing those spaces? Because friends, I'm going to tell you, when Jesus says, blessed are the merciful because they will be shown mercy, what he's saying is, if you are carrying around baggage, if you are carrying around a wound, it's a scar, it is pain, it is something here that is going to make it harder and harder for you as you carry on in this journey. I don't want to be a person that rejoices at the suffering of anyone, no matter what they've done to me or to anyone else. I want to be someone that desperately wants Jesus for even the worst person that exists on this place. So I just want to encourage you this morning, what we're going to do is I'm going to ask you, will you invite Jesus into the scarred and hurting spaces? Will you allow him to journey with you to the place where you can begin to fathom praying for that person who's hurt you? Praying that they might know Jesus. Praying that they will come to a place where they will find healing. Praying that that really they would start to walk in closeness and earnestness with Jesus. I'm not requiring you to reconnect with anyone this morning. I'm requiring you to connect with Jesus and let him do the work in that space where mercy needs to come. So I'm going to be honest with you guys. Have I reconnected with every person that's ever wronged me or hurt me? Because that's what you want to know. You want to know, great, I'm giving all this incredible, incredible advice and word. No, I have not reconnected with every person that's ever done me a grievous wrong. I do believe that there are times when a person is just deeply, deeply broken. They do not want to change. And I no longer want to give them access to my emotions and my mind. But what have I done? I have taken that hurt, I've taken that pain, I've taken that experience to Jesus. And I've asked him to heal my heart. I've prayed for that person. And my wife knows, because uh, she hears me talk about it all the time, there are people in my past that I've walked away from. But it still wounds me that I had to walk away. It still wounds me, even though they were painful, and even though it was toxic, it wounds me that I had to walk away and that I couldn't help them find Jesus. Now, the question is, did I feel like that on day one as I was walking away? No. I sometimes walked away in anger. I walked away in disappointment. I walked away in frustration. But I knew one thing. I could not navigate this life with that pain and disappointment and frustration and carry it with me for the rest of my life. I had to invite Jesus in. I had to give him the opportunity to work in that space. And my, my ask of you this morning is as we enter into a time of prayer, would you do the same thing? Would you do the same thing this morning? If there's a person that the Lord has brought to mind as I've been preaching this morning, would you just ask God, God, would you start to do the work? Would you start to bring me to a place where, no, I don't need to pray for that person today. Maybe it's tomorrow. Maybe it's next week. Maybe your timeline is six months from now. The Lord has freed you enough to be able to start to take a step. But don't leave it and don't not address it. So really, to live the blessed life, I need to be who God made me to be. And that's merciful. He doesn't ask me to do it myself. He wants to do it in 
and through me. So in our time of prayer this morning, we're going to be praying for three groups of people. Okay, so, so really, if you are here this morning and you are struggling to find mercy in your heart for people in your life, for those of you who really, really are finding it hard just to say, you know what, I, I want to forgive. I want to find healing. If that's you this morning, you're group one. Maybe you're here this morning and you want to say to Jesus today, I have kept you out of this one space in my heart because I've not wanted to heal, but today I'm willing to take one step, a first step. Then if that's you, you're group two. And maybe you're just vulnerable this morning and you're with Jesus and you're going, you know what, there is, there's this space. We all do that. We have this space. Jesus, take all of me, but this space where this person has wronged me, You don't have access to that. I don't want you in there because I want that pain and I want to hold on to what's happened. And if that's you, you're group two. And if you're group three, maybe you're sitting here this morning and you are on the other side of the coin. And you're going, you know what? You don't know what I've done. You don't know how I've wronged people and I don't know how to even begin to make amends. I don't know how to start to fix things. And if that's you, we want to pray for you this morning as well. So we're going to go into just this time of prayer, but really what I want to encourage you with in this moment is is allow Jesus to come and do the work in you. Allow Jesus to come and, and just do a beautiful first step work in you this morning. Would you do that? If any of you are in group one or two or three, what I am going to do is as we pray, Be brave enough to just raise a hand. Be brave enough to just raise your hand, even if it's a little this morning, as a sign of, you know what, Jesus, I want you to come in and and do the work. And the people around you will just stretch a hand out towards you and just agree in prayer for you this morning. Is that good? Let's pray together. Those of you that want prayer, just raise your hand. People around you will just pray with you. Lord, we we thank you that you're a God of forgiveness, that you're a God of mercy, and there's this beautiful work that you do in us, God, where you bring us further along than we are. There's something about just this picture of, of almost being tied to this heavy boulder that we're dragging behind us as people. There's this thing that we keep with us, and, and we don't want to let go of, and we don't want to surrender to you, God, and and this morning, I want to pray for three groups of people, God. We, we collectively want to pray for those that really are not feeling merciful in this season. Their hearts are just hard. And, and even though you want to be merciful, there's just, you, you're just not feeling it. You're just feeling anger and frustration. And, and you're just upset at people. You feel that you, your rights have been encroached upon. And, and you don't want to be merciful to others. And, And you don't even know necessarily where this hardness of heart comes from. Lord, would you come and would you soften their hearts today through the power of your Holy Spirit? I want to pray, God, that for those that are finding it hard to be merciful today, would you remind them of the joy of their salvation? Would you remind them of the great thing that you have done in setting them free? Would you come and set them free from that today? that they will live a life of mercy, a light life, a life set free of the burdens of carrying offense. 
Lord, we pray for, for just the second group, just those that say, you know what, God, I have been wronged and there's this pain. There's this scarring on my heart that I just can't work through. I can't get over. I can't forgive. I can't be merciful. I can't. I don't know where to begin. And maybe for them, you're going, Lord, yeah. Lord, would you just come and, and show them a first step in the next week? Would you show them one concrete thing they can do? But if that's you and you're sitting here this morning and you're going, I, I just have had this space in my heart that I've hidden from Jesus. I haven't wanted him in. And would you just open your hands and just invite him in? Would you just say to Jesus, Jesus, I'm inviting you into this space of hurt and I want to journey with you. I want to walk out of it with you. I don't want to carry it anymore. And then there's the third group. And, and maybe you're sitting here today and you just know there's this thing you've done. Maybe it's a series of things. You've hurt people. You've wronged people. And you want mercy. But you just don't believe that you're worthy of it. You don't believe you're worthy of people's mercy, of them being merciful to you. Jesus asked for those that are feeling that way this morning, that you would come and you would just convince them again of your parentage, that they are your children, that you have shown them mercy. I want to pray, God, that you'll just give them that sense again, that you have removed their transgressions as far as the east is from the west, from them, that you have set them free for a blessed life. And I pray, God, that where you, you want them to take a first step towards just making right, that you'll show them how, that you'll grant them favor, God, that in those conversations, in the hard conversations, you'll show them what to do. But also, Lord, in those places where, where that's not possible, I pray that you will give them peace, that you will give them peace. We love you, Lord. We want to live the blessed life. Help us all to be merciful. We pray in Jesus' name.